0: Hand, why don't you raise up your hand now and uh, our welcoming team are going to get you one. But I would like to pick up um, uh, at this time now to um, continue to bring another message which relates to our 40-day campaign um, entitled time to dream and uh, in fact we've got several titles for it. time to dream or open doors which are various concepts uh, where God wants to maneuver us further and deeper into the will of God so I'd just like to pray right now and then we're going to launch out and trust God that once again he will speak to us. So, Heavenly Father, we once again, we come this morning with anticipation in our heart that you will speak to us. Lord, we have a hunger for more of your presence, for more of the leading of your Spirit, for more transformation in our lives, that you take us from where we are to where you want us to be. We thank you, Lord God, that there are open doors before us, and by the grace of God, you are pointing them out to us, and you're leading us through them into a better life, into a stronger life, uh, further and deeper into your perfect will for us. And so, Father, we commit this time to you. We pray, speak to us, enlighten the eyes of our understanding. In Jesus' name, amen. Once again, the series, uh, six, seven weeks now during our 40-day campaign, is entitled, Time to Dream, and we're trusting God for open doors. And of course, last Sunday was the first Sunday in our 40-day campaign, the first of six or seven Sundays. uh, where we're all churning together uh, through the messages on a Sunday, uh, through the messages that we have in our small groups and reading in our participants' guide and even reading through the book of Acts so that kind of we are all together moving forward together. Uh, Last week we learned 12 reasons why it's important for us to know and to understand God's dream for our lives. And as part of last week, it was somewhat unplanned, but I felt to share part of my story, how God has maneuvered me and still maneuvers me now to, to journey on in the leading of the Holy Spirit. And uh, I was kind of mindful, I sort of come away afterwards, and I thought, gosh, uh, when I was looking back, it's like the hand of God on my life, no question about it, uh, as the hand of God is on your life. And as Peter shared, how the hand of God came on his life. But I would like to point out that part of the uh, examples that I gave last week was like kind of from 30, 40 years ago when I was uh, uh, perhaps a little bit uh, uh, more of a younger Christian than what I am today. I'm still a young Christian today, but I was a bit younger back then and uh, mindful that some of the leading that God gave me at the time was, was somewhat rudimentary and somewhat uh, in keeping with, with, with the level of spiritual maturity that I had at the time. Nowadays, don't, things don't happen so much externally or circumstantially things just happen through reading the Word and God by the leading of the Holy Spirit leading me uh, so that it's more by the Word and more by the inner witness rather than a lot of circumstances lining up or for that matter not lining up. And so anyway, 12 reasons uh, uh, why it's important for us to know and understand the dream that God has for us. We said that God's dream is always bigger and better than our own dream or the dream that we have for our own life. Um, and uh today i'd like to speak to you about living god's dream despite past poor Decisions. Let me repeat that title again, Living God's Dream or How to Live God's Dream Despite the Poor Decisions that We Have Made in the Past. And so that leads me to ask a question right now, and don't be quick to raise your hand to uh, think about this, but is there anybody here today that has never made a bad decision or a bad choice in their life in the past? All right, as Then expected, as expected, no hands are up. And if your hand were to go up, I'd really have to come down and cast the spirit of pride and arrogance out of you, because we know that all of us have messed up in various ways, in various shapes and forms, and, and a number of times, and multiple times, we've just made mistakes, yet God knows that. Uh, and I want to speak to you about how God knows how to bring us from mistakes into His perfect will for our lives, and how God just continued to maneuver us uh, into where He wants us to be. And so here the first scripture I want to read uh, together with you this morning, and it 's on your outline. it 's on the screen behind me, uh, and we read it together here in James chapter two. Uh, let me start again, James chapter three, verse two. It says here, "Altogether, we all stumble." In many ways, all right, we all stumble in many ways. We like to think that we're really sure footed, we've got it all worked out, we make the right decision every time, but even now, depending on where we are in our journey, uh, or independent of where we are, we still make mistakes. We say things we shouldn't say, and then when we should say things, we didn't say anything, and we do things that we should not have done, and it's just part of living, yet God knows all of that, and God can compensate and has compensated for that. In the New Living Translation, it says, Indeed, we all make many mistakes, all right? We all make many mistakes, And uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, and this is out of the Living Bible translation, it says, There is not a single man in all the earth who is always good and never sins. All right, so as our good friend uh, Cole Stringer would say, this time it would be a good idea to put away that halo that you're holding up over your life. He says, because otherwise it might slip down and strangle you. The reality is, you know, we are perfect in our spirit. We are born again if you have received Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You are made brand new on the inside in your spirit. But our soul is still imperfect. There's still memories there. There's still mindsets. There's still isms that are sitting there that are causing us to make the wrong decisions. That's why we teach from the Word so that the mind can be renewed. Uh, and then sometimes the body craves things that it, it shouldn't crave. And sometimes we give in to it and so forth. And so this is just living, friends. There's not a single person on the face of the earth does not make mistakes, all right? So we're all in good company, all right? Of course, it's important for us to point out that there is one exception, and his name is Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, um, and never sinned, never had a wrong, a, wrong, a wrong attitude, never said a wrong word, never had a wrong action in his life. Because in order for him to become the sacrifice that was ultimately going to be slaughtered uh, so that our sins would be paid for, he had to have a sinless life. So when it says that there is not one person that hasn't sinned uh, or that doesn't make mistakes, that's always with the exception of Jesus Christ. All right. Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, Yes, all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious ideal. All have sinned and fall short. All right. So sometimes people think if I can only get enough good deeds going in my life, It's a little bit like, if you can imagine, uh, was it a couple of weeks ago where we heard about this ladder that uh, Jacob saw when he had this dream, a ladder that goes up into heaven and there were angels going up and down on this ladder. And sometimes people think, they say, I'm going to build my own ladder to heaven. I'm going to do a whole lot of good deeds, and each good deed gets me a little bit higher. And, and, you know, and then I'll do a little bit more, and it gets me a little bit higher, and i climb up on that ladder, and i climb into heaven myself. But the Bible says we always fall short. The ladder is never tall enough to get into heaven. That's why Jesus Christ told us, He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. All right? So our good deeds just don't get us there. That's the reality of it. And so we're there by God's grace. And so praise God for that. So all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and all fall short of God's glorious ideal. All fall short of God's glorious standard. And for that matter, we all fall short of achieving God's original dream for us. But God had a plan. All right, and I want to speak to you about how we can recover God's original dream for our lives. Even despite the wrong decisions, the wrong choices that we've made, God has a plan. And here it is in Luke chapter 19, verse 10, and this is out of the message translation. Jesus says, For I, the Son of Man, came to find and restore the lost. We were all lost. And Jesus said, I came for you. I came to seek and save the lost, to find and restore the lost. And here's the deal, friends. God is a God of restoration. God knows how to restore people if we only get ourselves in the right place Uh, and respond to God. God knows how to restore. God knows how to get us back to where we have fallen from. Uh, In in all reality, you know, Adam's sin got him out of the garden, got him out of the perfect will of God for their lives, and humanity ever since has been out of the perfect will, but God knows how to get us back into it again, and it's through Jesus Christ. He came. He lived a sinless life. He died on the cross to pay the price for our sins, and as we restore, respond to him, and recognize him, and accept him, and receive him as our Lord and Savior. That's the starting point back in. All right. Uh, And so, Uh, Let's talk about recovering God's original dream for our lives. And we've got several points here that we want to make, and uh, I'm trusting that this will be helpful to you today because these points are not only uh, kind of good and applicable and necessary uh, when we first get saved and we acknowledge that we are sinners and we need a Savior, but these points are just as good when we fail, we make another mistake, we go right back to this list and start all over again. Number one, honestly accept responsibility for my poor choices. It's kind of honestly accept, Lord, I blew it, God. It's, it's like, I can't say the devil made me do it. Oh, it's because so-and-so. It's how people are treating me. That's why I'm a horrible person. It's the others. It's their fault. And you know what Adam said in the Garden of Eden? He says, God, it's the woman that you gave me. It's her fault. And humanity, and this is part of the fallen nature. Ever since Adam did that, humanity has been given to blame others rather than to accept full responsibility. And there's something about that. It's when we come to our own senses and we recognize that there is nobody here to blame. You know, we're not going to stand, as it were, when we were before God. We're not going to be standing amongst crowds per se. It's only us and God. There's nobody there to blame. We need to take full responsibility for our lives. And interesting, uh, uh, here in Luke chapter 15, verse 18, it describes when the prodigal son came to his senses and he realized that his own plan for his own life wasn't working out. He was actually quite set up. He was very well set up. He was like born with a silver spoon in his mouth, as they say. His father was wealthy. um, And one day, Jesus told us the story, and this is a real story. This is not make-believe. This is a real story. Jesus says, one day, there was a man, and he was a wealthy landowner, and he had two sons. And one of the sons, the younger one, said, Father, divide all the goods to us now. I don't want to wait until you're, I'm kind of, <laughs> Reading into it now. I don't want to wait until you're dead. I want all my stuff now. Please give us our inheritance, and I want to split. I want to get out of here. And that's what he did. He gathered everything up and went to a another country and started with, with his wild and riotous living and just spend all that he had. And in the end, he started to get hungry. And then when the money had run out, the fun had run out, suddenly he thought, oh no, this is not good. So the Bible says he joined himself to a citizen of that country. He joined himself to a foreigner there who was not part of the commonwealth of Israel and did not have the standards and everything else that they might have had in Israel. And this guy sent him out into the fields uh, to feed the, the pigs, to feed the swine. Now, of course, in Israel, they don't keep pigs because that's considered an unclean animal. So here's this guy out there, Jewish fella, and he's feeding the pigs. And so anyway, Bible says he got so hungry that he even wanted to eat the stuff that the the pigs were feeding off of. And he came to himself, and he says, gosh, he says, I've made a mistake. In my father's house, even the servants are treated better than what I am, and I'm out here. And he says, this is what I will do. He says, I will return to my father, and I will say to my father, I'll say to my father, he says, father, he says, I have sinned against you, and I've sinned against God, or whatever exactly the wording was. And here it is, Um, in Luke chapter 15, verse 18, I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And that was the moment when this man, when he came into his heart to do that, that was the moment when things started to turn around. But you know what? it didn't actually really turn around until he physically went to his father to do exactly what he had planned to do. Sometimes people live their lives on good intentions, but they never flesh it out. The Bible says it is in the doing of the word that we are blessed. You know, people get really blessed by hearing the word and get really excited, and so we should be. It's always wonderful when we receive revelation, but it's not until we flesh it out into action that the word begins to work For our lives. So he really honestly accepted responsibility for his poor choices. Uh, You know, there are four common causes for poor decisions uh, that we tend to make in life, Uh, and this one is seen out of Peter's betrayal. Of Jesus, If we read the story there, how Peter betrayed Jesus uh, at the very end of Jesus' natural life here on the earth, just before he was crucified, Peter absolutely blew it. He just absolutely messed up, and there's four areas, four common causes I want to quickly run through. The first one is pride and arrogance. You know, somehow we've got to com- confront the pride and the arrogance in our lives, Peter said in Mark chapter 14 and in verse 26, it says, Peter said, everyone else may stumble in their faith, but I will not. (laughs) Not me. No, all the others. They are all the sinners. I am the righteous one. And uh, it's a little bit like, you know, keeping in mind that Jesus had been with them or they've been with Jesus now for about three, three and a half years. They're now sitting down having their last Passover, the last supper, which became the first communion, so to speak, that we celebrate today. Uh, And Jesus said, as they were sitting down eating, uh, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And some of them said, oh, is it me? Is it me? Is it me? Surely it wouldn't be me. Uh, And, uh, And so anyway, so in the middle of all of that, uh, um, Jesus said, uh, he says, one of you is going to betray me. And then they carried on eating. They were all a bit quiet for a moment. Jesus told them that this was now the hour where he needed to face death and he was going to be crucified and was going to be hung on the cross and mistreated and everything. And, uh, and then somehow Peter thought, okay, I'm now gonna, I need to make a statement here. I know all, all these other guys are rascals, but I'm a good guy. He says, Jesus, he says, all the others may fail, but I will not. You can surely count on me. And uh, Jesus said to him, he says, Peter, he says, before the rooster crows twice, or was it three times? Three times, he says, you will have denied me three times. You know, the rooster, because we are all city folk here, nobody knows what a rooster does at three or four o'clock in the morning, but the rooster is the first animal that uh, kind of announces that morning is here, and morning is coming, and uh, you know, depending on... uh, the time of the, the seasons and everything. A rooster can, can start crying as early as three in the morning. You know, these uh, things that you want to wring their neck uh, when they start calling out. And boy, they can be loud. And what a horrible noise that is. I grew up on the farm, so I know. <laughs> and, and Peter said, oh, me? Surely not me, Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, be- before three o'clock, four o'clock, f- maybe five o'clock in the morning, you will have denied me three times. And so Peter made a series of bad decisions. And, uh, you know, right there when he said, all the other people's faith may fail, but mine will not, right there he set himself up for a fall. Because in Proverbs chapter 11, verse 2, it says, Pride leads to disgrace, but with humility comes wisdom. Uh, Another scripture in Proverbs, it says, Pride comes before the fall, or before the fall, pride comes. And so pride will somehow cause us to make the wrong decision, the wrong choices that will end up with a fall. So the key is, friends, let's get pride out of our lives. Let's get the arrogance out because it will do that to us every time while it sits there. And of course, Peter, we know he was uh, full of pride uh, when he spoke that, when he made that statement. You know, the Bible tells us, uh, and this is not in your outline, but is it Romans chapter 12, verse 3? Uh, it tells us that we ought not to think more highly of ourselves than what is proper. He says, but to think soberly. You know, we, we, we might be great, but we're not that great. <laughs> it's, like, uh, it's like, you know, I'm the great one, and looking down at everybody, we need to watch that. Uh, and sometimes there's whole ethnic groups that look down on others, or for that matter, look up on others. But, you know, at the foot of the cross, The the ground's level. We all we are all before the Lord, uh, and we all need to deal with things individually before the Lord. Um, And because Peter had his little outburst there of pride, and uh, and uh, in the morning he absolutely knew that Jesus was right. He had absolutely denied Jesus three times. Then the second point here, the second reason why we make wrong mistakes uh, or wrong why we make mistakes and wrong choices and decisions is because of fatigue and exhaustion. You know, here in uh, Mark chapter 14, verse 37, Jesus went back to his followers and found them asleep. Now, by now, they'd finished supper. They went out to the garden, uh, to that olive grove, where Jesus was used to spending time with his disciples. He brought the 12 with them, and then he took three from them, which is what we sometimes call the inner circle. That was Peter, James, and John. He says, come with me. He says, I'm going to pray over there. I want you to be with me. Now, he didn't say uh, that you need to be, he says, he went a stone's throw further and he began to pray. And that's where he had had that moment of, or or that sort of period of agony where he knew exactly what was coming. And he's wrestling with this thing. Uh, And the Bible says he was under such intense pressure that he sweated drops of blood. So he prayed for a while. He he went back to the three and they were asleep. Okay, I thought, I thought you guys was going to be with me, and, and now you're sleeping. So he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Couldn't you stay awake with me for one hour? Verse 38, stay awake and pray for strength against temptation. He says, the spirit wants to do what is right, but the body is weak. And there's a truth in here, friends, that we need to realize that we need to have a certain level of, uh, a, certain, a certain amount of prayer going on in our lives to keep ourselves from temptation. Because when the prayer life drops, in comes the temptation and they overtake. That's exactly what Jesus said here. He says, stay awake and pray for strength against temptation. And uh, so there's a deal here. And Jesus goes on to say, the spirit indeed is willing... The spirit wants to do what's right. You know, when we are born again in our spirit, we want to do what's right. But Jesus says the body is weak. And actually, in other translations, it says the flesh is weak. That's kind of the old nature wants to take over. And that's where the weakness lies. That's where the faults lie. And Jesus says, uh, he he says, pray. He says, pray and keep yourself spiritually strong. Sometimes people start coasting. And you know, I've said, Big Bird, to jump into our car right now and rev up and put it into gear and, and rev forward and, and sort of travel down the motorway at 100 k's an hour and then take the thing out of gear, you carry on at almost 100 k's an hour for a while and it quietly, slowly drops away, but it is dropping away. And at that point, unless you add more, you know, more, put it into gear and add more acceleration, Uh, we are coasting. And sometimes people get into a coasting type attitude uh, as far as their spiritual life is concerned. And they coast and they try to get by on the strength that they've exerted in the past in terms of prayer and the word and decisions they've made. But, you know, it'll only take so long before things will stall. And then uh, the fact that spiritual journey is always uphill... It goes against the grain. When it stops, it doesn't actually stop. Then it starts to slide back. And so there's a deal there where people are suddenly backslidden. They can't figure out how it's happened. Well, they stopped praying. Praying, They stopped uh, spending time in the Word. They stopped spending time with other believers to get, you know, to encourage them and to be encouraged so that we can be spiritually strong. That's why involvement in our small groups is so important that it's not just the Sunday service, which is all the answer. It's part of the answer, but it's not the whole answer. It's getting involved in small groups during the week so that we can journey forward together. So fatigue, exhaustion. Never make uh, a major decision when you're tired or depressed. You uh, you know, just watch that when you're, when you're down. Uh, don't make major decisions when you're down. People make drastic decisions uh, uh, while they're down, and it ends up being the wrong one because it's their fatigue that comes on. And uh, You know, their tiredness, and we're not just talking about tiredness from from having worked hard all day or all week. It's like when tiredness creeps in. You know, it's an interesting story, but we read through the Old Testament in the book of Genesis where um, uh, Jacob and and Esau, his brother, uh, Jacob was cooking, and he was cooking a stew with some red lentils in it. And Esau was a hunter. And he came back from a hunting trip, and he was absolutely famished. He was absolutely exhausted. And he came in, and he says to Jacob, he says, Give me some of, some of that stew. I'm absolutely famished. And uh, Jacob, in fact, the word Jacob actually means supplanter. He is a tricky fella, All right? He, was a, he had a sort of a bit of a crooked streak in him, that Jacob. Um, And amazing, look what God's done with his life. But nonetheless, because there is a restoration. But anyway, here's the deal. Jacob turned around and says, all right, Esau, my dear brother. He says, I'll give you some of the stew if you give me your birthright. Because Esau was the firstborn. And on the firstborn, uh, that was the birthright. And of everything that the father had, they inherited a double portion and other things. And Jacob really wanted that birthright. So he says, I'll give you of my stew. If you give me the birthright and he says, what's the birthright good to me? I'm about to die, so you might as well have my birthright. And the Bible says he despised his birthright and he sold it to his brother for a pot of stew. And sometimes people do that for just a pot of stew. They give away their future. For a pot of stew, they make a dumb decision and takes them off into a spin uh, uh, just in all directions. Yet yeah, God knows how to bring us back. And so here's, here's the deal, friends. Uh, if you're on a bit of a journey out where you know you shouldn't be, God wants to bring you back and God knows How to do that. All right. So there's that whole deal of fatigue and exhaustion. Uh, See, one thing I've learned over the years is, uh, you know, the way that I deal with myself and what I do, one of the reasons why I have three square meals a day, and that means breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, is because if I miss lunch and I think, oh, I'm, you know, I miss lunch, I can handle it. By the time 3, 3.30 comes around, I'm starting to look for sugar. Uh, because by now I'm running out of steam, I'm running out of blood sugar, and then it's the first thing that comes uh, to hand is what I eat rather than being calculated. And so, Frank, there's a whole story right there. Uh, there's a whole story right there. It's sometimes people insist that uh, they say, well, I know I'm a little... I'm carrying a bit more weight than what I should, but I really only eat once a day. Well, well that's your problem. You get, so, you, you get so hungry that you eat everything in sight. It's like when I fast and when I come out of my fast, that is now. The, the fasting is not the, not the bigger challenge. The, 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 the challenge is coming off because you want to eat everything in sight. And, and head for the sugar and for the refined rubbish and the ready foods into the cupboard, and the, you know, rather than having to cook things. Uh, anyway, some of you are like going like this. So I will now move on. I will now move on. <laughs> Fatigue and exhaustion. Number three, the third reason why people make dumb decisions is fear of disapproval or rejection. You know, when uh, Jesus was out in the Garden of Gethsemane, he'd done his praying. He told the boys that, uh, you know, a couple of times, you're sleeping when you should have stayed with me. But anyway, he says, let's get, and as they're getting ready to go, the chief priests had sent the guards along and they're now apprehending Jesus. And they're now tra- uh, capturing him because they were going to kill him and do away with him um, and uh, just as Jesus had prophesied and said, he says, all of you guys are going to leave me. And Peter, yes, you will not only leave me, but you're going to deny me three times verbally. And that's exactly what he did. And uh, so they all scattered and they left Jesus by, themse- by himself with all the guards and uh, you know a bit of a kerfuffle going on. But Peter was going to say, I'm going to rescue Jesus. So he brings out his sword and he attacks that guard and he cuts off uh, his ear. And it's all in the gospels there. You can read it for yourself. And, of course, uh, Jesus says, no, 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 no. He says, not, not with the sword. So he takes the ear, puts it back on this guy's head, and he's all healed and everything. But anyway, thereafter, all the boys, they're out of there. They're all scattered, and Jesus is by himself. One of them even ran away without being dressed properly. Uh, I suppose they were just relaxing, and they probably took off their coat. They left their coats, and they just took off. All right, abandoning Jesus. Um, and the Bible says, as they took Jesus away, it says that Peter followed at a distance. Mark chapter 14, verse 54, in the first part of the verse there, Peter followed Jesus at a distance. And when people follow Jesus at a distance, they make wrong decisions. You know, when they're kind of, it takes them about a half a day to find God, like, uh, like, you know, where does God live? Well, God has moved. It's us that move. All right. And how long does it take me to find Jesus? And because Peter was a long way back, but he quietly thought, well, I better do the right thing. So I'm following Jesus, but only at a distance. I encourage you, friend, if you're following Jesus at a distance today, you will end up making wrong decisions that you will regret later on. Let's get as close to Jesus as what we can Let get as close to God. And of course, the whole point is to get Jesus into our lives. So he's with us wherever we go. Uh, In John chapter 3, verse 1 and 2, here's a dialogue going on between Jesus and one of the Pharisees. He says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews, and this man came to Jesus by night. Okay, and of course, out of that uh, uh, follows that dialogue where Jesus said to him, he says, Nicodemus, he says, I tell you the truth, you must be born again, otherwise you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Then he said it again, he says, you must be born again, otherwise you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. But here's the point. Notice that phrase there, and you can underline it in your outline there. It says that this man came to Jesus by night. Uh, one translation says he came late in the evening, he came after dark. He said, this man was a Pharisee. He had special clothing on. He was a religious man. He had a reputation. He had friends. And he had like a, you know, a public image to keep up. And going to see that, that rabbi called Jesus is not going to look good, but I really want to go and talk to him. So I come on the cover of the night and quietly slips in. And here's the funny thing, that this guy again had an issue there that he knew, because he said to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, he says, we know that you're from God. We, we know it. We, the Pharisees, and yes, I'm sure the Sadducees, and yes, I'm sure the high priest, we know that you're from God because no man can do these miracles that you do. And because Jesus cuts through all the nonsense, he says, Nicodemus, I tell you, you must be born again. <laughs> Okay, it's one thing to know that Jesus is of God, but in the end, if we don't get born again, that knowledge alone doesn't actually get us into heaven. we got to receive Jesus. So this man came by night. And it's interesting, uh, if you read through the Gospel of John, Nicodemus is mentioned several times more, and twice specifically he's mentioned, quote-unquote, as the one that came by night. So it's like that this reputation followed him around. Now, because we know that the Apostle John wrote the Gospel of John, and sometimes for for purposes of identification, when they're speaking about uh, a man or a person, and then they specify, if there are several others with the same name, they specify who uh, or which one they're talking about. But in this instance, he says that Nicodemus, who came to Jesus by night. But you know what? Nicodemus, in the end, he says, I'm done with it. And when Jesus was crucified and they took his body down, and the Bible says when they were getting ready to kind of embalm him with the brought all the spices, it says Nicodemus was right there. So he dealt with that indifference of not, not wanting to associate with Jesus or with the Christians, and he stood up to be counted. And, but nonetheless, uh, while he had this attitude there that he didn't want to associate uh, with Jesus or be seen by his uh, own associates uh, publicly with Jesus, he's making bad decisions. So number three, short-term pleasure or instant gratification. Mark chapter 14, verse 54, it says that Peter sat with the guards and he warmed himself at the fire. So by now, Peter, who had followed Jesus at a distance, they arrived at this place um, they got Jesus somewhere, and they're getting ready to interrogate him. Uh, The guards are sitting outside. The temperature has dropped. they got a fire going there, and it was getting pretty cold and uncomfortable. So the guards are standing around the fire. And, of course, the guards, in many respects, in the natural anyway, they were really the enemy, and Peter joins the enemy to warm himself by the fire. And, you know, every time when we choose comfort above character, we make a wrong decision. And rather than standing up to be counted with Jesus, and it w- would have been possible potentially for Peter to make himself known to the guards there or to the to the chief, and he said, "Look, he says, can I go and see this Jesus of Nazareth thing? Can I talk to him?" It would have been possible, but of course uh, Peter knew that if it goes wrong, you know, they're going to take my head off and uh, they're going to kill me as well. I'm liable to be liable to be crucified with Jesus. So he's out there, he's warming himself. By the fire, uh, and uh, and is just trying to be as comfortable as what he can be. So sometimes blending in to the enemy or blending in with the world, blending in with the workmates or with the people on the sports field are like people of the world. And 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 sometimes Christians swear as much as what everybody else swears, and they get up to what everybody else gets up to. They just try to blend in. It's making wrong decisions. Let's be happy to stand out and stand up to be counted for Jesus. So there's an instant gratification going on. And uh, and and rather than making a decision that was going to cost him, uh, Peter is there warming himself by the fire. You know, people, for instant gratification, it's amazing what they do. You know, we got these loan sharks going on and all of these... People instant loan uh, and places, and we got them here, we got them locally, we got them in the city, they up and down the country, and, and gosh, credit cards are so easy to come by, and boy, isn't it so easy nowadays? You know, it used to be swipe, but now, you know, you shove the thing into the slot. Well, nowadays, you just go past and swipe the thing against and out the door, and you got what you wanted, and it's only plastic. But how do you noticed know the statement will come in a few days, a few weeks later? And with all this instant gratification, i got to have it now! It's instant gratifications, making wrong decisions, doing impulse buying and buying things more and more and letting the credit card, oh, I can manage it, I can manage it, and suddenly it's unmanageable. So, And people get into an unmanageable debt, into an unmanageable situation, and wrong relationships, unmanageable situation as far as, you know, just uh, things are concerned. It's instant gratification. And, you know, we say that uh, it's a good idea to enjoy a little bit of pain when we are young and not frivol- fr- you know, frivolously spending money and save money, so that we got a, a more comfortable life later on. People that want pleasure now, they will have pain later on. But if we are prepared to have a level of discomfort now, a level of pain and denying ourselves, then life gets better because that's all part of the leading of the Holy Spirit where God says, You live a self controlled life. And you honor me with your tithes and with your offerings. And you show yourself diligent in your work environment and go through a little bit of pain. And and if you need to get a part-time job, get a part-time job to help you to get ahead in life. And God says, I'm able to bless you and I'm able to breathe on your situation. I'm going to prosper you. But instant gratification is like, oh, look at God's provision. I bought this and look what God provided. Well, how'd you pay for that? Well, my credit card? Well, that's not God's provision. All right, that's a silly decision to put stuff on a credit card uh, that was not really a necessity in life. Anyway, I'm going to move on very quickly now because some of you uh, are getting ready to tune me out. In Luke chapter 22, verse 31, Jesus says to Simon, and this is back at the discussion there where Simon said, I'm not going to deny you. Everybody else probably will, but I'm not. Simon, Simon, Jesus says, Satan has asked to have you, to sift you like wheat. But I've pleaded in prayer for you that your faith should not completely fail. You know, there will be a failure there, but it will not completely fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. And so there's a deal here, friends, where Jesus is now telling Simon that... uh, that he was going to be tossed around like wheat. You know, nowadays nobody knows what that looks like. But in the old days, they built the threshing floor uh, into the direction of the prevailing wind. And then they would take their little threshing uh, sledges there and they would whack the, 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 the wheat and the straw so that it all come out. And they will pick up the straw. And on a windy day, they will take baskets and they will toss the grain into the air together with the chaff, and the chaff will fly away in the wind and the grain fall back down again. Um, and sometimes on a small scale, women would usually take a, a, a basket like this and put all the stuff on there, and on a windy day, they'll toss it up into the air. Uh, the chaff flies away with the wind and lands somewhere over there, um, and the grain falls back down again. Um, and Jesus uses that example. He says, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat. You're going to be tossed in the air. You're going to have a few tosses. You're going to be tossed around a little bit, Peter. But I have prayed for you. That after the the turmoil, that after the difficulty, after the trouble, he says, I have prayed for you. And he says, and when you have repented, it's not if you have repented. uh, uh, Jesus knew that uh, he would have to pray for Peter, so it wasn't a matter of if, but a matter of when Peter would repent. And recognize that he'd blown it. He says, and turn to me again. He says, strengthen and build up the faith of your brothers. And you know, Frank, there's something in God where God even knows how to use our mistakes and bring good out of it. Because what we learn in our mistakes, we can, when we restore back to Jesus, and, and we can encourage other people and we can say, look, don't do that because I've already tried that and it did not work good for me. So in the middle of all of that, God knows how to use our mistakes, even the things that we learn in the middle of all of that, to build up and strengthen the faith of our brothers. And God wants to do that. Uh, He wants us to help others with what we've learned through our mistakes. So then coming back again in regards to how to uh, live God's dreams despite past decisions, the second point now, all these other points were just sub-points of point number one. This is now the second point, is asking humbly for God's mercy and forgiveness. Here in Psalm 51, um, and by the way, Psalm 51 was written by uh, King David after it was found out that he had... uh, Uh, got a man killed so he could have his wife. He had committed adultery, with Bathsheba got her pregnant, and he thought he had a plan, and he had it all worked out. And in the end, uh, the prophet of God came, and he says, David, you're in serious trouble. You're in hot water, and God knows what you have done. And so David suddenly realized that he wasn't going to get away with it. And you know, there was one thing in amongst all the dumb decisions that David made. He was a man, when the chips were down, Rather than running from God, he ran to God. There was a quality in David. He's like a man after my own heart, God said. God, God knew that David would make mistakes like everybody else, and they were pretty drastic ones. He had committed murder. It was basically arranged uh, that man's death out in the in the battlefield. Uh, uh, you know, setting it up with his, uh, with his generals and what have you. And then he had committed adultery and got this woman pregnant that he wasn't married to and, and so forth. And he thought he had covered it all up and everything was sweet. But no, the Bible says, be sure that your sin will find you out. And now David is now realizing, oh gosh, it's all known and I'm not going to get away with this. I might as well run to God. And that's what he does. Psalm 51 verse 1. Have mercy on me, O God, because you're unfailing Love, Rather than kind of arguing with God and trying to say, well, God, it's a mistake, but it's not really so bad. I'm really a good fellow. No, he absolutely recognizes that he's absolutely failed God. He says, have mercy on me. And he throws himself on the unfailing love of God. Because of your great compassion, blot out the stain of my sins and wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin, for I recognize my rebellion. It haunts me day and night. You know, obviously his conscience is now really getting to him. Uh, and he's now going before God and he's praying a prayer that any of us at any stage, if we didn't quite know how to pray, it's using that pattern that David has laid out will absolutely be a prayer of restoration or a prayer of getting back in with God uh, and having our sins forgiven. Use the, the, the phrases there that are emboldened. You can underline it for, for greater emphasis. It's have mercy. He says, blot out, purify me, wash me clean. He recognized that he had blown it. And in verse 8, uh, uh, 6, 7, and, and then uh, eight, and on from there, he says, But you desire honesty from the womb, teaching me wisdom even there. Oh, verse 8, give back my joy again. You know, when people are in, in unrepented sin, joy is one of the first things that goes out the window. They no longer have joy in their lives. And he says, restore unto me the joy of my salvation. He says, uh, you have broken me. Now let me rejoice. Verse 9, don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me or renew a loyal spirit within me. So here's David, and he's brutally honest with God and with himself. You know, friends, we can't be honest with other people if we're not honest with ourselves. And there's sometimes people make excuses to themselves, for themselves, about themselves, and, and internally blame other people. We've got to do away with all of that, and really face this deal head on. Number three, gratefully accept God's amazing grace. God is a God of love. God is a God of grace. God is a God of the second chance. David had blown it before and got it right again, but then he blew it again, and God just received him back uh, again. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7, it says, in Christ we are set free by the blood of his death, so we have forgiveness of sins. How rich is God's grace? God's grace is abundant. God's grace is amazing. And friend, we're not here because we are so wonderful. We're here because Jesus is wonderful. All right? We're not here because we never made any mistakes. We're here because even though we made mistakes, by God's grace, He's received us. He heard our prayers, and He restored us again. And if you're on that journey, my friend, and you haven't quite made it back to God, before you leave this building here today, God will receive you. And he will hear your prayer if you cry out uh, f- from the bottom of your heart to him. I remember when Pastor Vanessa and I were in Bible College. There was a minister that we knew, uh, we knew of, and we knew somebody. We didn't know him very well. He certainly wasn't a friend. Uh, uh, he would have been an acquaintance. Uh, and he was part of the crowd that we were running with at the time. In fact, he was one of their uh, leading people at the time. He was pastoring a church and doing very well. Um, and uh, the next minute he went off the rails, and he went off the rails big time. I'm talking big time. Uh, and uh, I remember when I went to see him some time back. I was traveling through that particular town um, uh, on my way, going somewhere, and I thought, oh, I'll stop by, and I'll go and see so-and-so. Well, by now, the, the pastor is gone. The, the church is folded. Uh, he's in a mess. He's all over the place. He's sleeping around. It's just a disaster, and so I went to speak with him, and I just wanted to, you know, reach out to him, and somewhere, he says, oh, what are you doing, and I talked to him about, uh, you know, what we were doing, and kind of, you know, that was talking about, uh, you know, stepping out for God. He says, oh, he says, you don't want to do that. He was almost getting ready to Taught me out of doing anything for God. Uh, that's how how bad he was. He was that far gone. It was just a disaster. Small town, of course. These things make ripples. Uh, People think, oh, that's what you Christians are all about." And you know, you know, you can know what you can do with your Christianity, and so forth. And sometimes you can't blame people when somebody goes down. The devil will make sure he will, they will go down big time, and that everybody knows about it. Anyway, here's a long story made short. Uh, This guy came to his senses, just like the prodigal son, and he said, "I have sinned." And he went back, and he went back to church, uh, and. and afterwards, when he gave his testimony, and I heard the testimony, he says, when I came back to God, he says, and truly repented before him, and he knew he had lost to repent of, he says, all I found was love. And I still remember that, he says, from God, all I, rece- all I found, all I felt from God was love. That was not like God God saying, oh, you've been a naughty boy. That's right. With all your confessing, keep going. You've been a very naughty boy. No, he says, all I found from God was love. And God is like that. God absolutely wants to restore us the moment we are ready. Just amazing. So that whole area of gratefully accepting God's amazing grace. Romans 8 verse 1, there's now no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. No more condemnation. The old is gone. My brand new on the inside. And if we have been born again before and got into an area of sin and we confess our sin, the Bible says, 1 John 1, 3, 4, and 5, it says that He's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what God does in His abundant grace. So the question then uh, could be asked or should be asked, why does sin not invalidate God's dream for my life? Because this man found his way back. He found his way back into ministry. I've sort of lost touch with him. I don't know to what extent that he, he got uh, you know, back into things again and, and so forth. But I do know that God restores. So why does sin not invalidate God's dream for me? Number one, because Jesus already paid for all of my sins. Jesus paid for our sins past, present, and future all paid for. Here it is, 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. When Jesus served as a sacrifice for our sins, He solved the sin problem for good. Amen. Not only ours, but the whole world's. And sometimes, as I said, when I heard that explained to me, and the impact that it made on my religious mindset that I had when I grew up and so forth. It's like Jesus didn't just die for the sins of all the Christians. Jesus died for the sins of the whole world. And the sins of the world are already under the blood. Then somebody might say, well, then everybody's going to to heaven. No. We still have to receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. And ultimately, the only sin that will send people to hell is rejecting Jesus Christ as personal Lord and Savior or just never receiving Him. And so, therefore, it's important for us to let people know. That's why Paul was pleading with the Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says to them, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. All things have become new. He says, I plead with you. Be reconciled to God. So, reconciliation with God, there's two sides to it. God's done everything that He will ever need to do. We just need to respond to Him and recognize that we have sinned and to receive Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. Call Him, make Him the Lord of our lives. So, Jesus already paid for the sin problem. Already paid for. Number two, God's goodness is not based on my performance. Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, He saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, but because of His mercy. There's a deal here, friends, that sometimes, you know, we might talk about some of the things that God had us involved in and some of the things that we have been able to do, but all of that... We've done by God's grace, and everything we have is by God's grace. We cannot take credit for it because it's all by God's grace. Even the gifts, the talents, everything that God has given us, the calling, it's all by God. We stand not because we are so wonderful. We stand by God's grace. We walk by faith, by God's grace. It's all by grace. Just leaning. Yes, we use faith, but we lean on the grace of God. And it's not all faith, faith, faith. It's faith and grace. Two of them, I wrote an article a while ago to, for some of my friends, and there's kind of this thing going around. that You've got all these different camps. You've got the faith camp. You've got the grace camp. Why do we have two different camps here? Faith and grace are sisters. They work together. They're not in a camp each. I mean, how silly is that? So number three, so again, number two, God's grace is not based on my performance. God is gracious. You know, it's not, God is not only gracious when I'm good, but God is gracious when I'm not so good. God is gracious when, when I say the right thing, and God is gracious when I say the wrong thing. And boy, have I said some wrong things. It's amazing how, you know, as a kind of a, a, a person that's calling to speaking as part of the discharge of their ministry, gosh, it's so easy to get to say the wrong thing. It's not hard at all. I've said some dumb things in my life, and I'm like, oh, gosh, I'm going to go home. I'm burying myself. I never want to be seen by people. Lord, what about, I've said all of this. It's like, what, what have I said? Well, you've got to just climb out again and rely on God's grace, and if you offended somebody, say sorry and get on with it. All right, get on with it. So it's not our performance. It's God's grace that's brought us here. It's not all the wonderful things that we have done. And though it is good to make good decisions, but we're here by God's grace. We're moving on into greater things by God's grace. Number three, God's calling and gifts are given unconditionally. Romans chapter 11, verse 29, very important verse of scripture. For the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Now, Paul said this specifically in relation to the Jewish people that the calling on, the, on their lives as a nation was irrevocable, even though they've been a stiff necked people all the way along and made a few good decisions, but mostly bad decisions, made a few right choices, but mostly bad choices. But Paul says, no. He says, that gift on their life and that calling is without repentance. It's, it's unconditional. And, of course, that means that the gifts and the callings of God on our lives are also unconditional. So, as so I said, my acquaintance that I talked about before, he got restored back into the ministry again after all the disaster. And uh, the gift just is there. You know, people say, Well, I've uh, blown plane, plane A. Uh, I'm now on plane B. And somebody might say, Well, I've already blown plane B as well. I'm now onto plane C or D or D. whatever. Friend, God's only got one plane. He doesn't fly onto plane B or C. God's only got one plane. That's the thing with my little GPS unit. When I enter in a destination, I can go all around it, but it'll always point. And when I'm to the south of it, it'll point north. When I'm, I'm to the north of it, it'll point south, and it'll just eventually get me there. <laughs> and sometimes people, they haven't stepped into their, into their plan that God had for them into their dream and so forth. When they were 20, when they had the opportunity, now they might be 50 for all we know, but the plan's still there because the gifts and the calling of God is without Repentance. See, when somebody connects with it late, later in life, it's still the same plane. God doesn't scratch his head and say, oh, well, you've blown that one. So we can't do this." So. What else are we going to find for you? No the plane still stands. <laughs> it's like God saying, oh, let's give you the leftovers. No, 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 no. God is just, a, there's only one primary plane. And God hates us towards that. The thing is, of course, when people connect with it late because they fluffed around, they've just got to work a bit harder to catch up. And in terms of serving God and the rewards that we're getting in heaven, there might not be as many rewards, but there will be rewards for whatever we do. And it's never too late to connect with the plan of God. Never too late. It's always better done today than tomorrow, but it needs to be done. So God's Gifting and calling is irrevocable. And the New Living Translation says, God's gift and His call can never be withdrawn. So God's original plan for your life still stands. He doesn't have a plan B. So number four, and we're still talking about why does sin not invalidate uh, God's dream for my life? Number four, it says here, generously forgive those who have hurt me. You know, people... Try to find their dreaming God, but they carry a chip on their shoulder. They're mad with everybody, mad with themselves, mad with the world. Forgive everybody, including yourself. Matthew 6, verse 14 and 15. If you forgive those who sin against you, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive others, your Father will not forgive your sins. I don't know about you, but I find this a pretty sobering Verse of Scripture here, truth. Jesus says you can't receive from God as far as forgiveness is concerned what you're not prepared to give to your brothers and sisters or to others around you. So generously, you see, God generously forgives us and then we forgive others. Number five, courageously face the future with faith. Job chapter 11, verse 13, it says, Surrender your heart to God. Turn to Him in prayer and give up your sins, even those you do in secret, then you won't be ashamed and you'll be confident and fearless. Your troubles will go like waters beneath a bridge and your darkest night will be brighter than noon. You will rest safe and secure, filled with hope and emptied of worry." It's like when all the load is lifted off. We surrendered our heart to God. We asked Him to forgive us for the sins that are known and the sins, that, the sins of the secret and just giving it all to God. Receive total forgiveness. Forg- forgave everybody else and let them go. No longer beat them up in our mind or in our heart and occasionally kick them, you know, not physically, but just in our head, you know, just to get back at them. We stopped doing that as well. And... Uh, And then it's just sweet. It's that we have peace. God's restored to us the joy of our salvation. We're not carrying a care in the world. Somehow with everything that we see and all the messes that we got ourselves into, God knows how to lead us out of that. In Isaiah chapter 43, verse 18, Forget the former things and do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing, God says. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? When does the new thing spring forth? Just a question. When does it spring forth? It's when we let go of the old. See, people live in the past, and you can't live in the past. You can't go back there again. You can't hang on to the past because it'll prevent you from going on into the future. Let it all go. Things that were done to you, things that you've done to others, things that you've done to yourself, let it all go. Do not dwell on the past. See, I'm doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams and the wasteland. Sometimes people look around their life and say, Oh, gosh, all I see is wilderness. There's nothing organized. Things are in such a mess because I'll make a way in the middle of that mess. And I'm leading you out, and I'm leading you forward. And, Frank, today's message was really largely around the whole area of living God's dream despite the bad and past decisions that we've made. And part of it was we spoke about Peter, who had failed so spectacularly. Spectacularly. I mean, this guy, all the others left Jesus as well, but he mouthed off. And then he not only left Jesus, but he he denied him three times with the words of his own mouth. He says, I do not know this man yet he knew him. So he failed miserably and spectacularly. And the amazing thing is if we had enough time, we could go through the gospel there, gospel of John. And you know, when Jesus had risen from the dead and he appears to Mary Magdalene and he says, go and tell the disciples and tell Peter that I'm risen from the dead. It's like Jesus singles Peter out. He says, tell Peter I've risen from the dead. And I'm thinking about him like, as it were, and you know, after Jesus was crucified, and we're closing very shortly, let me just tell you this story, uh, and, and many of you know it because you've read in the Gospels. After Jesus was crucified, even though Jesus told them it was going to happen, and he told them he was going to rise from the dead, they're all dejected, they're all, they've now failed Jesus, they've now, Peter's denied him three times, and Peter says, I'm going back fishing. And so he goes back to what he had done before. Now, he'd been in ministry for three and a half years in a traveling evangelistic association. He probably leased his fishing business out. And now he says, I'm going back fishing. And the, the, the sons of Zebedee were there as well. It was a couple of guys. He says, oh, we are, we are coming with you. So we're, we're now back fishing. We are now back doing what we've done before Jesus called us. And he was absolutely, I'm ahead I'm it. I'm going back. I think I've blown it. It's probably... Too late. Jesus is dead. The whole dream has come to nothing. I'm going back fishing. And they're out there. And the Bible says when they came back in the morning, it was clearly nighttime fishing going on. When they came back in the morning, the Bible says they caught nothing. And, uh, and as they're nearing the shore, they're seeing Jesus at the shore. And he says, come. He says, I'll have breakfast for you. So Jesus is made of fire. And he's made some fish and everything. And then in this discussion, Jesus turned to Peter. He says, Peter, Peter, do you love me? And it's now about restoring Peter back to, his, to God's original dream for him. Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, yes, I love you. And a second time, Peter, do you really love me? He says, well, yes, Lord, I really love you. He says, go and feed my sheep. Go and nurture my lambs. And then the third time, Peter, do you really love me? He like wanted to get this thing out of Peter. And he says, Lord, you know, you know. And he says, okay, he says, go and, and, you know, nurture the lambs, he says, feed the sheep. And Jesus restores the man into God's original plan, restores him into the ministry. And the amazing thing is when Peter got over himself, a few days later on the day of Pentecost, when the outpouring of the Spirit took place, who jumps up to preach the gospel but Peter? And 3,000 souls got saved uh, on, the, on the first day right there. So God amazingly uses the guy who fails most spectacularly. God restores him and puts him back into plane A for his life. And so, friend, if that means anything to you today, I'd really encourage you. In fact, we are about to uh, uh, sort of transitioning. I wonder if we could have the worship team up for just a moment. And let's just flow into a time of, of uh, so say we finish preaching, finish teaching, the message is, is done. Uh, it's now time to respond. It's allowing.